Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. Baptism is a beautiful display of God working through His church. If you'll notice uh, the baptisms that we had this morning, um, the person, the, the Christ follower who influenced the Christ follower was able to baptize them. Nick baptized Adam. Adam ended up baptizing his wife. Uh, Jason asked me to baptize him. Beth uh, was, is Bree's small group leader, and Beth asked her to baptize her into Christ. And it's, so it's not about Nick, and it's not about me, it's not about Beth. It's about being put into Christ, and God was using the church. The, the people who are called out to serve and be on mission was used by God today, and it's a beautiful display of God using the church. There is a way, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, which we're going to study at today, chapter 2, where this uh, God using the church, there is a way that we can act as a called out people to be more open to be used by the Holy Spirit. And it all surrounds this word humility. This word humility, and that humility leads to unity. The unity gives clarity to the gospel. People can hear it. The seeds of faith are planted. The seeds of faith are watered. And then God makes it grow. And oftentimes, he uses the people that are most open to being used. Now, he'll use anybody because he's God. And he can use anybody because he's God. But it is so beautiful when we open ourselves up to be used by him. And uh, Paul says, starting in chapter 2, here is a way to apply this type of humility that leads to unity, that really clearly displays the gospel. Here is what we need to do. He gives three factors. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, and there are three factors that Paul mentions that leads to the humility that provides unity, that provides clarity. The three factors are motivation, command and example. I'm going to read the passage out of second, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Then we'll pray over it that we would be open to being led by the Spirit through these words. And then we'll kind of talk about what this is going to mean for us. Here's chapter 2, verse 1. Paul had just finished telling the Philippians, we need to be united on one purpose, making the gospel as clear as we can and do it with courage. Clarity and courage. Therefore, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that, the na- that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. 
that lays out why we should humbly move forward in your purpose. Would you open our minds and hearts by the power of your spirit so that we can clearly see what you have in store for us and clearly understand how to apply this passage of scripture to our life? And then would you empower us, Lord, by that same spirit to be obedient? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three factors that Paul says leads to humility found in this passage. There's a motivation, there's a command, and then there's an an example. Now, last week we talked about there's this dividing line, whether you are in Christ or out of Christ, and we need to be able to decide using Scripture. We can't necessarily know what God thinks, but we know what He says. We have what He says, so we can read it, and we can find out. I heard that somebody did the homework. I said, here's your homework. Go find everywhere where Paul put in his letters the words, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. I heard there were people that actually did the homework. Well, we need to decide in that dividing line whether we are outside of Christ or inside of Christ. And Paul says there's this motivating factor that if you have been changed by Jesus, if you have been rescued by Jesus, if you have been loved by Jesus, if you are in Jesus, that joy and love motivates you to action. I'll give you an example. While we were outside of Christ, the scripture says, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is before we deserved his love, before we deserved anything. In fact, we deserved hell. While we deserved hell because of our sin, because of our rebellion, Jesus loved us and died for us. John, one of Jesus' best friends, writes in one of his letters, we love him because he first loved us. While we were outside of Jesus, that's when he loved us. That's when he began to love us. And then we get into Christ, and Paul says there are lots of things that happen. He said, "Can can you be a part of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ and not be changed? And so he asked these questions at the beginning of chapter 2. What is motivating you? What's propelling you to love like Jesus? If you're on this side of the line and you are in Christ, you probably have had some things happen to you that only happen because you're in Jesus. That's what Paul talks about in the first part, the motivation for our humility, the motivation for our action in chapter 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, that's where he starts. Now, this might be you. Paul has this checklist that it may fall on you. Oh, yeah, that's me. You just see, if you're one of the ones in this room that's in Christ, see if that checklist is applied to you. Any encouragement, you don't have to raise your hand, just think, if you have ever had any encouragement from being united with Christ. So, you think, this is how you test yourself. Have I ever been encouraged? Has my soul ever been lifted? Has my spirit ever been lifted? Because I know I'm forgiven I know there is no condemnation for me. I know I've been adopted into the family of God. I know I am heaven bound. I know I have a connection in the family of God. I know I have brothers and sisters who care for me and pray for me. I know that God hears my prayers because I am one of his children. I know I can go boldly before the throne because if your daddy is the king, you get to go sit with daddy. If you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ, you're falling on this side. Now, I don't know if that applies to everybody, But if you are in Christ, you might have had a taste of that encouragement. Paul continues. Maybe you've had comfort from his love. If you've ever been comforted by that tenderheartedness Christ conveys, 
when he sees the woman leading the funeral procession in Luke chapter 7 out of Nain, and it's the woman, she's leading the funeral procession for her, her son, and when Jesus sees her, his heart goes out to her. That's the word compassion. If you've ever been comforted by the fact that God knows everything about you, he knows every thought you've ever had, he's known every action that you've ever taken, and he still loves you, if you've ever been comforted by that, if any common sharing in the Spirit, remember this is the motivation to apply humility, motivation to apply the unity of the gospel. If you've ever had any common sharing in the Spirit, that's that word in there, common sharing, is one word in the Greek, it's koinonia, it's the same word we talked about last week in chapter one where it says partnership in the gospel, this uh, business association, you're gonna produce a product. If you've ever had any common sharing in the Spirit, partnership with the Spirit, any benefit from that? Oh, I did today. God was able to use me to talk with Jason. His dad was able to talk with him. His wife was able to be an example to him. And I got to share in that partnership in the Spirit. And he committed himself to Christ in baptism today. I get to share in this partnership. That's joy. If you've ever been partnered with the Spirit in working in his kingdom, a common sharing in the Spirit, on this side line, if you've ever been affected by any tenderness and compassion, just this morning, somebody in the church, uh, my sister in Christ, she came to me and said, hey, I know you're parked on the street. I just heard they're going to be paving and doing some word, road work in the street. Give me your car keys. I'll move your car for you. Now, this servant just did that because she is in love with Christ and saw an opportunity to serve. And I got to experience the tenderness and compassion of the church serving for my benefit. Paul says, if you're on this side of the line, you're in Christ, and any of those things have ever happened to you, then make my joy complete, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. He said the motivation to have unity in the church to make that gospel really clear comes from what the benefits we get in Christ. Can you be united with Christ and not share in his work of humility, in his work of service? Can you honestly stand on this side and say, I've been affected by Jesus, but I'm not going to obey? I've been affected by Jesus, so I'm not gonna, but I'm still not going to submit to anybody in authority over me. I've been affected by Jesus, but I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. And Paul says, if you are over here on the end, this should be producing in you this heart of submission and humility for his kingdom. If you've ever had any encouragement, if you've ever had comfort by his love, if you've ever had a common sharing in his spirit, if you've ever received tenderness or mercy, and Paul does this really cool thing. He's this pastor evangelist. He helped plant the church in Philippi. And he says, you know, it's really the number one joy for me is somebody to come to faith in Christ. And my cup's almost overflowing. But you can overflow my cup if you just have unity motivated by the love of Christ. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and of one mind. I want to focus this morning uh, in this part of the outline, motivation on that one phrase, of one mind. Jesus gives us a clear mission and a call. 
Go ye therefore, the King James Version, that's how I grew up learning it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to empower you. I have all authority. You go and obey me. He has given us marching orders as a community of believers as we go along in our lives, whether we're at school, whether at work, whether we're at play, whether we're at home, wherever we are, we have this mission to seek out and make new believers in Christ. When we work with them and the Holy Spirit works on them, we're supposed to baptize them in Christ. And as they grow in the Lord, we're supposed to teach them everything that Jesus says they're supposed to do. And Jesus, he summed it up in one word. He said, hey, in one sentence, he said, a new command I give you, love as I have loved you. This is that humble attitude. If you love God and you love others just like Jesus loved you, you'll fulfill all the law of Christ. And we teach people and we train people how to do that. When we first enter into Christ, we don't know how to do that. We have to have training. We have to grow. Or maybe we come with a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, and now we get to apply it with the power of the Holy Spirit backing us. Paul says, and Jesus says, and the scripture says, we have a mission to do. And that is to tell others about their need for a savior, a need for a rescue in Jesus Christ. And he said, nothing needs to distract you from that mission. And you can be motivated to do that mission, have a be of one mind because of what Christ has done for you. If you've been affected, motivated by any of the things God has done. I'll give you some examples of how we might get distracted. The church at Philippi was getting distracted. Over in chapter 4, Paul talks about these people who started having an argument, kind of distracted from the mission. And, and he, he kind of gives us the impression that the argument they're having doesn't really matter about the mission and doesn't really matter. And if he judges it by the 10,000-year rule, 10,000-year rule, ever heard of it? Will it matter in 10,000 years? He, I get the impression that whatever the people were arguing about the church at Philippi won't matter in 10,000 years. I'll give you an example of where we kind of almost got distracted as a church. Almost, didn't. And how the wisdom of our leadership prevailed. Uh, can I give you an example of that? Let me show you. Uh, I just need the lights up on the stage as, as bright as we can make them. Yeah, back here too, please. Can, I don't know if you can do this. I, I think you can still see me. This wall almost became a distraction. This wall, and this wall, and that wall over there, it almost became a distraction. I'll tell you why. Because we painted it a different color. It almost became a distraction. Almost. I say almost because our leadership team, our elders, they're godly men. Their hearts are in the right place. They, each one of them would tell you, it's not within me I don't deserve to be an elder, but I've been called to be an elder. And we're just serving, and our elders serve in humility. And they, they met together, and the meeting started kind of like this. Uh, we got some people complaining that um, you're painting the wall a different color. And now that could have been hours-long discussion about what to do. But wisdom prevailed. One of our elders said, Guys, I, I don't know why we're talking about this exactly because it's just paint. And if we don't like it, we can tell them to paint it something different. 
And they all went, you're right, let's get back to praying, studying the Bible, teaching, and actually caring about the people in our church. See, they, they've been conditioned and learned how to be on mission. It doesn't matter about the floor or the roof or the walls or the paint. What matters is if they're making disciples. There's another discussion that happened not too long ago in our leadership team, almost a, dis, almost a distraction. Um, you might have noticed we're doing a little construction in here. Floors are being changed. One of our elders said, it doesn't matter if we've got carpet or concrete. It doesn't matter if the roof caves in. That will not stop me from making a disciple. That will not stop us from making a disciple. We probably don't need to spend too much more time talking about the floor or the roof because we have more important things to discuss being of one mind behind the gospel of Jesus Christ, motivated by his love for us, changed by the Holy Spirit, reborn, born again to have a new soul. We have more important things. Now, you will bump into different levels of maturity of people in our congregation because we're all just growing. So if you bumped into somebody today who was complaining because their schedule has changed or they're complaining because they don't like and they're grumbling, you know, well, probably what's happened is they just haven't reached a level of maturity where they recognize what's most important. And so we gently, lovingly pray for ourselves to continue to mature and gently, lovingly pray for others to be pulled along to recognize what the most important thing that we do as a church is, and that's to be on mission for Christ and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. We can get distracted so easily. And Paul says the motivator for how we respond to the gospel is what Jesus has done for us first. And then he gives us a command. And the command has to do with that humble attitude the command happens in uh, verse, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Let me just repeat that again. If you're taking notes and you're underlining in your Bible and uh, you want to remember something, you want to rem- this is your homework for the week. Okay, this is a passage you can memorize. If you want to find out what the command is, there's a motivating factor, and, and, and Paul knows this, the Holy Spirit knows this before the psychologists tell us. If we want people to stop doing something, psychologists tell us negative reinforcement works best to have people stop doing something. But if you want people to do something, to take action, positive reinforcement, and Paul says there's all this positive reinforcement, then he gives this command. Here's the command, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, to know whether you're selfish, have selfish ambition, you just need to ask yourself some questions. Do I care more about what other people think of me, and do I seek out the attention of other people and the approval of people more than I do from God? Well, if you answer that you're seeking the approval of people or attention of people, and you're always trying to get people to look at you and boost you up, that would be selfish ambition. Or vain conceit, that's kind of like empty things that don't mean anything use the 10,000 year rule 
Will this really matter in 10,000 years? I, I know, I, get, I have the same problem. I get involved in something, and I start thinking it really, really, really matters, and it does in the moment to me, but in the big scheme of things, it doesn't. And Paul says, don't do actions motivated by vain, empty nothing. You can have concerns, you can have opinions, you can work for your family, you can work for your friends, but he says, hey, you've got to have this attitude that is others focused. It's a command. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. This one, this is kind of hard to understand, but we can memorize it, we can understand, we can work through it. It's not that I take somebody and say, oh, you are much more valuable than I am, although you can say that if you want. It's not that we compare and say, oh, that person doesn't do math as good as me. That person doesn't do English as good as me. That person doesn't do hard work as good as me. It's not like we're comparing. That person um, doesn't make wise decisions as good as me. We're not comparing. What, what Paul is saying we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take that person and say they are made in the image of God. God wants them in his kingdom. They are worthy of being served, and God has called me to serve them. That's the command. In humility, rather, in humility, serve somebody else. I heard humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, they must be better than me. No, it's just not thinking about yourself, but thinking of others. Isn't that the command? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. They are so valuable, they deserve to be served because God made them and wants them. Value others above yourselves. That means I would put aside what I want so somebody else can have what they want. That's basically what it is simple. In the name of Christ, we're not wanting to enable sin or enable somebody to hurt themselves, but we can serve. Are we seeing this? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So Paul gives us motivating factors. You've been changed by Christ. You've been made a new person. You've experienced and tasted the tenderness and love of Jesus, the comfort that he gives us, the partnership in the Spirit. You're about, you've been changed, motivated. He gives us a command, seek to serve others instead of serving yourself. And then he gives us this example, and this is so powerful in the Scripture. I'm, I'm kinda, I kind of want to just spend four weeks on this passage alone, but we'll go fast. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Now this is the battle the church has had to fight since the beginning of Christian. Since the beginning of Christ, since Christ rose from the dead, the church has had to fight this battle. Paul is not arguing for this. He's just stating what the church at Philippi already believes. Jesus is God. And this is really hard for us to understand, but that doesn't make it less true. Jesus is God. Jesus, our God, is three in one. God the Father, he teaches all of his children, God is one. Hear, O Israel, your God is one. And in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the Spirit of God hovered above the chaos. The Spirit is already there in the beginning. Elohim, the word in Hebrew for God, is a plural noun always used in the singular. Um, we, how would I say this? I went to the store, we went, 
how would I say this in English? The whole church served one person. That would mean all the people in this room went and served at one place. The whole church went and served at your father's kitchen, for example, these bags. The whole church is bringing in food for, well, we're using the whole church as a singular, the called out believers of Christ given on mission. God, in the Old Testament, his name is in the plural, but it's always used in the sentence structure as singular, and it says Elohim, God created, God the Father created the heavens and the earth, the Holy Spirit's there, hovering above the earth, and then it says in the New Testament, we learn more about God the Father, we learn more about this oneness, it says everything was created through Jesus, he was there in the beginning. John, one of Jesus' best friends, says in the beginning, was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul is just emphasizing what they already believed from the very beginning, what Jesus taught, what Jesus believed, and what the disciples had learned, Jesus is God. Jesus, who being in very nature God, what does God deserve? Is God entitled to anything? I mean, He is the creator of everything. The creator deserves from his creatures praise and obedience. Jesus is God. He's in heaven receiving praise and glory from the angels. And he leaves heaven to come and receive hatred from people. He laid aside what he deserved to receive so he could serve us. God, Jesus, who in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, something to be grasped at, something to be held. Uh, one uh, missionary says um, the tribe he was working with in Africa, the, the strongest person in the tribe became chieftain. And the strongest person in the tribe became chieftain, and they received a headdress and, and robes of glory. And everywhere the chieftain went, you could tell that is the chief because of what he looked like and because he was so strong he had won in a fight the right to be chief. Everywhere he went, he was almost worshipped because he was the strongest one in the whole tribe, and one of their men falls in the well and breaks a leg and cannot climb out. And so the chieftain, the strongest in the tribe, takes off his headdress, takes off his royal robes, he crawls down into the well, puts the person on his back, and climbs that person out of the well to safety. Isn't that kind of what Jesus did? Jesus, glowing with glory, being praised by angels. John describes the glorified Christ. He says he glowed like lightning. His voice was like rushing waters. It was like his eyes were on fire. And John fell down like he was dead when he saw him. Jesus hides that glory behind his humanity. 100% God and 100% human in one person. And he comes to make himself low so he could lift everybody up. Paul says, if you're going to be a Christ follower, motivated by the love he's given you, obeying the commands, you need to follow the example of Christ. If you've tasted the glory of Christ in comfort, in tenderness, in mercy, in partnership, then you need to obey the command to make yourself low to lift everybody else up following the example Christ gives us. I told you your homework was to memorize verse 3, 4, and 5. 
or three and four, but I think you should memorize that song that Paul puts in there. In your relationship with another, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, all through Scripture, God gives the same theme. If you humble yourself, he will lift you up. Isaiah 66, 2 God says, this is the person I bless. He who has a humble and contrite heart and trembles at my word. 1 Peter chapter 4, no, excuse me, chapter 5. Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, because we're just continuing to follow Christ. When you humble yourself, obeying the command of Jesus, acting like Jesus, being motivated by love, he lifts you up like he did with Christ. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave us a way to remember how he humbled himself. We call it communion. He gave us this action to take where we would respond to his call to obey by remembering what he did for us. And so communion is this time where we remember the effectual, beautiful sacrifice of Christ that motivates us to serve others in love and unity with the highest purpose we can imagine, bringing others into the kingdom. If you lead somebody to Christ, do you know that that, that matters in 10,000 years? The only thing that goes to heaven is souls that you have led to Christ, your good deeds that you get rewarded for, and the Word of God that never disappears. Those are the things that matters in 10,000 years. Are you on purpose for Christ? Communion is a time to remind ourselves what we're here for. Communion is a time to remember that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Communion is a time to remind us that he's going to come back and get us and ask us whether we've been faithful servants. Communion is a time to remember Jesus laid aside everything he was entitled to to serve us. That's beautiful. Uh, Normally when we take communion, we pass a tray We grab the bread, we eat the bread, we take the cup, we drink the cup, and then we pass it and we sit and we meditate on what Christ has done for us. This month, as we celebrate being one church, I'd like for you to take communion together as one church. So what I'm asking is, as the tray is passed, if you'll hold the bread, and as the tray is passed, you'll take the cup and hold the cup, pass the tray, and then together as a church family, we will consume the bread and consume the cup at the same time um, together. Does everybody understand? Let me pray for our communion time. Lord, I thank you for Christ, sending us Christ who saves us, who rescues us, who takes our sin upon him and nails it to the cross, killing our sin, writing his law on our heart, changing us, rising again from the dead, sending his Holy Spirit to change us, to be born again, to have his law on our heart, to be saved. 
Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for this time we get to remember what he did for us. Lord, would you allow even now the, the memorial we're going to do in communion, to, would you even now allow that to strengthen our faith and to propel us into humble service in your kingdom? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Even during the meal of communion Jesus had with his disciples, he was teaching them how to humbly serve. Sometime during the meal, Jesus took off all of his clothes and wrapped a towel around his waist, and then he went around and he washed his disciples' feet, a job only fit for slaves. And he asked them, do you understand what I'm doing for you? He said, you need to be like the teacher and serve. Humbly serve. And then he went and he showed them the true meaning of humble service by sacrificing himself for us. During the meal, he took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you consume the bread? And after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, blood poured out for you. Would you take and remember what I've done for you? Would you consume the cup, please? Lord, I praise you on behalf of this body of believers, your church. Praise you for what you've done for us and ask that you would continue to grow us up to be your humble servants, following your example. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.